listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks, Lori. <clears throat> You're getting a workout today with the back and forth. I feel bad. <laughs> oh, man. Hello again, everyone. So before we dive in, just a quick reminder about these handy-dandy index cards that you have. If you have a question about today's sermon or about a previous sermon from this series on the Beatitudes, or maybe just a deep, probing, existential question you're wrestling with anyway. Put it on here, um, drop it in the offering after the sermon, and uh, maybe it will get selected for next week's Q&A. Um, <clears throat> let's see. You know, let's, let's open with prayer, and then we'll get into it. God, thank you for this day. We thank you for this um, challenging, eye-opening collection of blessings. Um, we pray that it would move us, that it would open our hearts, maybe in some surprising ways, Lord. And God, we thank you for the opportunity um, to worship and to learn together in this community. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, as I wipe my sweaty face. This is the last beatitude, you guys. We've done it. We got all the way through, and we've come a long way. It's been eight weeks. So much has happened. I started here eight weeks ago, and I've already got to know so many of you. I had a birthday. There were other birthdays. It's been, it's been a heck of a summer. Um, so let's go out with a bang, uplifting, and talk about persecution. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, though. Um, a couple of observations about this, this last beatitude, um, this last blessing. <clears throat> it bookends this section quite nicely. Uh, the beatitudes begin, as we just heard, with blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this last blessing repeats that same phrase, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, kind of brings things full circle. We talked about the kingdom of heaven about eight weeks ago, so I'm sure it's super fresh on all your minds. 
Um, but if you do need a refresher, which I know I did when I was preparing for this sermon, um, the kingdom of heaven is essentially God's reality. There's the world as we experience it today, where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, where wicked people prosper and innocent people suffer. But then there's this other reality that Jesus is always telling his followers about, the kingdom of heaven, God's reality, a way of life that Jesus inaugurated in his life, his death, and his ministry. It's a reality where the last are first and the first are last, where the lowly are lifted up, and the humble, or the, sorry, lowly are lifted up and the powerful are humble. And that's really what Jesus is getting at in these blessings. These beatitudes are meant to shock us. They're meant to reorient our imaginations by revealing who's really blessed, who's really favored in God's reality. And it's people like the meek, the powerlessness, uh, the powerless, um, those who mourn, those who have suffered, Um, the poor in spirit, which is essentially the spiritual outcasts. So it's appropriate that Jesus ends the Beatitudes by declaring that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This final Beatitude is also a little unique because it's got this extended explanation tacked on at the end. It's almost like a commentary on the blessing itself. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some argue that these verses actually constitute an additional beatitude, that there are nine instead of eight. Um, But whatever the case, we're going to keep this chunk together because it all kind of falls under the umbrella of persecution. Now, if you've spent any significant chunk of time in church, you've probably heard a sermon or two about persecution. I know I did. I grew up in a church where we talked about persecution a lot. We listened to songs like Jesus Freak by DC Talk. Anyone, any DC Talk people in here? No, okay, just me. It's a song about the persecuted church. That's the kind of stuff I grew up hearing. Um, And really, the idea of being persecuted had this sort of allure to it. Like, if you faced persecution, that's how you knew you were serious about your faith. I remember this one time in middle school, I wore a What Would Jesus Do t-shirt to school. I don't know if anyone remembers those. Um, And I got teased about it by, like, two kids. So, of course, I I marched proudly into youth group that week, declaring that I had been persecuted for my faith. Which, like... Not to belittle the experience of 12-year-old Dan at all, but um, that's kind of ridiculous, right? Getting teased for a t-shirt, it's, it's right up there with, you know, public floggings and executions. Um, yeah. But this idea of being persecuted, it's deeply embedded in the Christian consciousness. The church did face persecution at times in its first few centuries. Um, Christians really were fed to the lions by the Romans. Uh, Many of Jesus' disciples really did die for their faith, and there are still Christians today who face very real persecution in places like China and the Middle East. And I don't want to downplay any of that. But this is not going to be your standard sermon on persecution. In fact, I think we actually need to have some real talk about American Christianity's persecution complex. 
There's a segment of the church in our country that believes it's always facing persecution. You see it around Christmas time uh, when certain segments of the church start raging against the phrase, happy holidays. And get ready, because like, that's starting up again in like two months, which should be fun. You see this in the culture wars. Um, Christians trying to win back America for Jesus, seeing any bit of social change or progress or increased diversity as an attack on their faith, an attack on their way of life. But if we're going to talk about the persecution of Christians in America, let's start with a few facts. 75% of Americans identify as Christian. They might not all be in church on a Sunday morning, but three out of every four Americans identifies themselves as Christian. That's a huge majority. We've come a very long way since our time as a tiny little persecuted sect in Rome. Almost 87% of Congress identifies as Christian, and if you count Mormons in that group, it goes up to 90%. Every president we've ever had has either identified as a Christian or come from a Christian background. 45 of 50 sitting U.S. governors are Christians. I think you get the idea. We're in the majority. Consider also that throughout history, most persecution of Christians has been carried out at the hands of other Christians, typically Protestant against Catholic or vice versa. And then if we look at the global superpowers, the, the nations, the kingdoms that have ruled the Western world for centuries since the time of Jesus, most of them have been majority Christian. You've got the Roman Empire once it became Christian, the Byzantine Empire, England, France, Spain, Portugal, Germany, the U.S. These are the powers that colonized most of the rest of the world and persecuted the indigenous religious communities we found there more often than not. All that to say that Christians have held power for a very long time. And we continue to hold tremendous power today. So what's with this continued persecution complex? Why are we so hung up on the idea that we're the ones being persecuted? Part of it is our early history in Rome facing persecution. That's real. But there's a much darker side to all this as well. A denial of our privilege. A refusal to surrender power a fear of a changing world. And let's not forget that a persecution complex is a really effective way to rally other Christians against religious others in some kind of a fight. So what are we supposed to do with a verse like, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness? How do we approach this text in a responsible way in light of our mixed history with persecution? Well, if we're going to understand this beatitude, we can't start with our own perceived experience of persecution. There's just too much baggage there. We have to get a lot closer to the source. Throughout this teaching series, we've looked time and time again at the context of Jesus. What did all this stuff mean when he first said it? And that's essential. But equally important is the context of the book of Matthew itself. The context that this gospel was written to, because that's a different context from the time of Jesus. A lot of times we don't realize that. But there's a lot we can learn by looking at Matthew's original audience. 
Most scholars um, estimate that the Gospel of Matthew was written around 40 to 60 years after the time of Christ, so we're looking at the 70s or 80s CE. And if that gap between the time of Jesus and the authorship of this Gospel freaks you out a bit, that's okay. Um, Keep in mind that this was not a literate culture. Most people could not read in the first century, so books had a different purpose. Books were not used primarily to pass along information. That wouldn't have been very effective because people couldn't read books. Stories, sayings, proverbs, things like that were often passed along orally. And books were used to preserve information, to write stuff down once the people who were there to see it started dying out so it wouldn't be forgotten. So the Gospel of Matthew showing up 40 to 60 years after the time of Jesus is actually quite right. makes sense. And interestingly enough, the time when this gospel was written was not a period of major persecution for the church. There had been some persecution earlier, closer to the time of Jesus, but much of the, the big persecution in Rome came later, in the second and third centuries. When the gospel of Matthew was written, it was a time of relative peace for Christians. But it was also a time when the church itself was undergoing a major shift. Transitioning from being a small movement within Judaism to become a whole separate religion. A religion dominated by non-Jews, by Gentiles, probably the bulk of us would fall in that category. And one thing we can tell about Matthew's gospel is it was written for Jewish Christians. There are a lot of allusions to the Old Testament in this gospel. There's a lot of insider language that only would have made sense to someone who was familiar with the world of Judaism at the time. And Jewish Christians were really struggling when this gospel was put together. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 CE. So the Jews had just lost their homeland again. The temple had just been destroyed again. And tensions between Jews and Gentiles, even in churches, were at an all-time high. Leadership of the church had, had always been dominated by Jewish Christians, but it was quickly shifting over to Gentiles. And many Jews found themselves pushed to the margins of their own churches. This is the period when you really begin to see a hard separation between Judaism and Christianity for the first time. And uh, the Jews who remained Christian and Jewish took, ho- took heat from both sides. Their Jewish friends and family would often disown them, writing them off as sellouts for joining this new religion centered on some failed Messiah. And then meanwhile, their fellow Christians viewed them with suspicion for continuing to adhere to the laws, traditions, and customs of their people. Do you see how the first hearers of this gospel might have experienced persecution for righteousness? For them, righteousness meant both following Jesus as Lord and remaining faithful to Judaism. But that, meant them, that made them too Jewish for their fellow Christians and too Christian for their fellow Jews. And that phrase, persecuted for the sake of righteousness, it's kind of ambiguous. It can cut two ways. On the one hand, it might be that you're being persecuted for following your own convictions. You're being persecuted for your righteousness. But on the other hand, it could be that the people who are persecuting you think that you're a heretic, and by persecuting you, they're being righteous. So you're being persecuted 
for their righteousness. Does that kind of distinction make sense? For these Jewish Christians, it was both. They were being marginalized for sticking to their convictions. And you know that the people who were marginalizing them, both Jewish and Christian, thought that they were being righteous in doing so. So if that's the context, if that's our parameter for understanding this beatitude, then we have to ask ourselves, who's being persecuted for righteousness today? Whose identity is under attack, maybe by fellow Christians, for adhering to their convictions and trying to faithfully follow God? It's not the Christian shopping at Walmart who has to pass by a happy holidays sign. I don't think it's that. I also don't think it's the business owner being told that they can't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or religious affiliation. I don't think that quite lines up. But it might be an LGBT Christian, someone following Jesus as Lord, coming to accept themselves exactly as God made them, and yet being reduced to second-class status by their fellow Christians. It might be a female Christian, faithfully following a call to ministry, only to be told by other Christians that women can't be pastors. Or maybe a female pastor who pours her heart and soul into a sermon only to receive comments after the service about what she's wearing and how much makeup she has on. It could be Christians of color who have heard God's call for justice, for liberation, but still find that they have to tiptoe around their white friends, their white Christian friends, when issues of race come up, if they want to stay on the inside. If you've ever been called a heretic when you were just trying to follow Jesus, if you've ever been told that God doesn't love people like you, or that God doesn't call people like you, if you've ever found yourself at the receiving end of scorn from other Christians uh, for standing with the marginalized, or if you've ever had your faith or your identity called into question by someone you thought was an ally, then I have really good news for you. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is yours. God's reality, God's way of doing business is for you. At the very start of this series, I talked about how the Beatitudes are not Jesus' eight steps to getting blessed. If you let these blessings begin to invade your imagination, change the way you think, change the way you view other people and live in the world, it's not going to make life easier for you. If anything, it's going to make things harder. You might find yourself pushed to the edges by people you thought were friends. You might find yourself coming under the wrath of fellow Christians who think you've lost the plot. You might even find it hard to sit through most church services, although hopefully not here. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. But in those times when it feels like you've been abandoned, when it feels like maybe even God has turned away from you, Jesus reminds us that God is still with us, that God never left us. And that we are part of a long history of prophets who experienced the exact same thing. And rather than falling into despair or losing hope, 
we should rejoice and be glad. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.